Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Welcome once again to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And fartlicks are one of the most common types of workouts used in training plans today, and yet are very rarely clearly defined. So we will explore the concept thoroughly and dive into why, how, and when to run fartlicks in your training. And stick around after that for recent news from the world of running, including the USA Road Circuit Championships, new U.S. Olympic trials, marathon standards, finally, and a high school cross-country team for the ages. Mm -hmm. And in order to get all of the important things that you need to get and know, head to adzrunning.com, look for the word follow, and then find us in all the places where you like to consume content, YouTube, podcast platforms, social media, whatever suits you best. And we try to create things that help you, so consumption that actually is good for you. And one of the things that we are putting out there for you this week are some tips for running in the dark. And that's actually thanks to many of you on Instagram who messaged me when I was asking for some tips. So we'll be mentioning you in that article as well. So you can see that coming to you soon in the next couple days. That will be tips for running in the dark. Thank you to all of you who helped. And the next installment after that will be tips for running in the light. <laughs> oh, wait. Well, nope. I don't think we need need that quite as much, I guess. Well, we're always coming up with the tips for running in the dark or the light or inside, outside. You don't have to try to spin that, Andy. I was you? just trolling you. That's okay. all I was doing, right. just trolling you. You're such a troll. Well, besides that, we do have a quick note from this week's sponsor, Yes, so we have the hip hook once again. We are very excited about it. Many of you are too. The hip hook is designed to help get those hard to reach iliacus and psoas muscles. Releasing those will help you feel better, run better, rehab better, and in my case, sleep better. So check it out. You can get a discount by using the code A-T-O-Z, A to Z, A-T-O-Z. Check it Links out. and all the other information you need found at a to z running dot com slash episode one fourteen. Mm-hmm. Now on to our main topic. Most of us do know the word fartlek. There was a time when saying that to my high school runners. Brought about all sorts of giggling tomfoolery, <laughs> but eventually I got them past the point of the first part of the word and into what did the you pass? whole word. Okay, you of know it. You passing? So when we talk about fartlicks, you know that that is a workout that you've probably done, that you certainly have seen, and that chances are you feel like you know something about. However, how many of you feel like you could clearly define and describe what a fartlek workout is? in a general sense. Um, and that's the challenge here because it, it really doesn't have necessarily a very precise description, which is why we thought it would be valuable to spend some time here describing the background of the fartlek workout, specifically why people do fartlek workouts. And there's a, a few schools of thought around that as well, and then how and when to implement them. And certainly you will find that we have some opinions of our own about how best to go about these things. And we don't necessarily agree with every other running coach out there and that's okay but we'll at least explain to you why we feel that the way you go about fartlicks can be valuable to you in Absolutely. this sense yeah so that's where we're headed here yeah and let's define first what is a fartlek are you looking for the swedish definition of the word andy or go you? for it <laughs> well this is the, so everyone everyone well not everyone most people know because this is the way almost everyone begins talking about fartlicks um it's a swedish word and it means speed play. That's mm -hmm. the direct translation. So that being the case, if we're talking about at a very conceptual level, the definition, a fartlek workout is a playful speed workout or a mm -hmm. speedy playful workout. Now, Zach, before speeding we, and playing, speeding and playing, before we get too far into this, who should be running fartleks, Zach? Everyone. All right. So there you have it. Before you turn to a different podcast, make sure you're listening to this one because Andy, it's relevant to you. Andy, no one ever turns off our podcast. Oh, ever. Right. How dare you think? 
you know? Well, so yes, everyone needs to be doing fart licks. And in chances are, you ought to be doing something like a fart lick workout nearly year round. That's, that's where things get interesting here. And there are a lot of other workouts out there that actually are fart lick workouts that people just describe in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's probably a whole nother episode on some of the variations, variations on the concept yeah. of repeat workouts because okay. fart lick is a kind of repeat mm-hmm. workout. Um, and there's many others. So anyway, we, we do want to get a little bit into that, but I wanted to give you just a brief. So this is the background. Um, why is fart lick a Swedish word and how has that made it into like general running jargon? Um, According to Wikipedia, at least. Oh wow! I guess <laughs> yeah, I'm going big, deep. Uh, I, I figured I could I could resources. probably try to draw on this uh, more significantly, but then I thought, you know what? Uh, just grab what uh, the quick the quick look from Wikipedia. So it was a Swedish coach back in the early 1900s, Gusta Holmer, who popularized the fartlek workout uh, specifically because his cross country boys. I think it was a prep school. Is the the gist I got from it without reading every single word. Um, his his boys were not very successful against other teams. And he thought, I mean, we need something better. We need to do this better. And he devised the concept of the fartlek workout, which is why then it comes from the Swedish word. So yes, that's where it originated. So then as noted, that's quite vague. So what yeah. is it that you're supposed to do if you're doing a speed play workout? Um, and within certain param- parameters, fartleks are intended to be less structured than other workouts. So it is supposed to be more vague. And mm-hmm. that's part of the point. Now, I think I know what some of you may be thinking. You don't like vague. You like oh, giving runners. exact specifications for your workout and this might be a challenge for you you might think that this isn't as measurable this isn't as valuable but listen on because we're going to get into later on we're going to get into the the why and what it's actually doing for you isn't that kind of a fallacy of the current trends in running which is to make everything objectifiable and and everything quantifiable and measurable Um, and the problem with that of course is that we assume that if something doesn't fall in a certain place in some of these objective measurements that there's a problem with it. And I would argue that we have we have missed the point mm. in running. And there's a lot of authors out there that have written about like natural running and, and you know, the born to run book and some of those things. It's good stuff. It's interesting stuff. I don't necessarily agree with all the things they say either, but there's something there. Okay, so in principle, we're going to apply one simple principle here to the rest of the conversation. A fartlek workout is basically any kind of workout that involves varying speeds and durations during a continuous run. Mm-hmm. That's literally it. That's your definition. Any variations in speed over various durations during a continuous run. So you can call a fartlek workout a walk jog, for instance, because it is. It's a kind of fartlek. Um, you could call a fartlek workout a long run, where I'm just adjusting paces kind of occasionally or something like that. You know, there's lots of different ways of just kind of generally referring to something as a fartlek. But we're, then we're going to break down more specifically certain ways to use fartleks and how how it's intended in most training plans. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first, what do others have to say about fartleks? So we get some context here because uh, everybody writes about it. I want to just give you a few quick examples because these help kind of capture the general understanding that most people tend to implement fartleks. Um, so let's go to Brad Hudson for a moment. Brad Hudson, the author of Run Faster from the 5K to the Marathon. He's also coached many of some of the world's best runners, distance runners, especially in the marathon. Um, if you recall, he was Dathan's coach out of college. For okay. quite some time, yeah, and mm-hmm. and Dathan was quite successful. Yeah. Yes, I would say so. Okay, so yes, um, so Brad Hudson he describes fartleks in his book, um, as twenty to sixty second efforts at fifteen hundred meter to ten k pace. The precise duration and pace do not matter particularly. That's from chapter four of his book. Now, the reason why I want to use that one to start is because he obviously gives a very specific orientation around when he's talking about fartleks in his training schedules, for instance. Um, and, and that's a very common thing that we see. Most people are usually calling a workout, a fartlek workout, when it's something like repeats at a certain type of effort like that. Um, not always, They're not always exactly the same. You know, it might be like 1K or they might have like a ladder workout, repeats of 400, 600, 800, 1K, you know, something like that. That's where you see people usually say it's a fartlek workout and then here are the repeats to do. Okay. Now, next, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but next, um, 
to take a very different uh, different trajectory here in Dr. Keith Livingstone's book, which he, by the way, was writing specifically about Lydiard's training. He was trying to explain Lydiard's training in the 80s when people were having a hard time understanding it and there wasn't a lot of readily available information that made sense with all of Lydiard's work. So he took it all together and tried to explain it in healthy, intelligent training. And Livingstone, writing about that, then describes Spartlicks as involving a number of short, sharp sprints and inclines interspersed with ample aerobic recovery. So very different than the description we just got from Brad Hudson. Also, not exactly true with everything Lydiard was doing, but Livingstone was trying to basically conceptualize um, how they would use fartleks year-round. So this idea of they're just doing a lot of short sprints, sometimes uphills, and lots of aerobic recovery um, was, was kind of the idea. So it didn't really help make sense, right, Andy? <laughs> Not any more specific. No. <laughs> no. Okay. That's good because we need to really get there, and we're not there yet. Um, so Daniel's running formula, which is always a great source for these kinds of things because he tried to just make everything very specific. Remember I talked about over-objectifying and over-measuring? That was by Jack Daniels, Jack by Daniels way. is one, he's one of those who I think started the modern trend um, or at least helped start the modern trend. And I think it got away from the original intent also of okay. his work. I, I would say that. I don't know. I haven't ever heard him say this and I haven't certainly ever talked with him about it. But based off of reading his work, and trying to understand what he was trying to accomplish by publishing all the things that he did. I don't think his goal was that we were supposed to measure every single thing we did and put it all on spectrums. But those are resources, was his mindset. Anyway, so in Daniel's running formula, he, Jack Daniels, um, writes about fartleks. A single session can also involve a mixture of different intensities and durations of running, along with varying bouts of recovery, something that is typically referred to as fartlek training. Mm -hmm. Here you go. Jack Daniels, the king of objectifying things, does not precisely describe a workout when he talks about fartleks. Why? Because they're not a specific yeah. kind of workout. So we appreciate Brad Hudson trying to give some clarity to his athletes in his description. We appreciate Livingstone trying to shed a little bit more light on it. But the reality is the reason why it's so hard to find anyone describing it with clarity a fartlek is because there's no such thing as a specific fartlek workout. <laughs> They're much broader than that. Mm -hmm. So I want to just add one other thought then, because the speed play thing, we've, we've gotten away from the play part and all of these descriptions. So in working with Barry McGee, you know, one of Lydiard's first ever successful marathoners, um, Barry McGee said to me in an email, he typed to me. Um, and when I asked him, can you please explain to me? Because I was doing the same thing here. I knew that there was no great answer, but I wanted to hear him answer the question anyway. Can you explain to me what exactly to do with the fartlek? Because he told me to do an hour fartlek, right? And I said, what, what should I do during that hour? And here's what he said. Just have fun. Playtime striding. Yeah. That was his answer. You know, and I love it. <laughs> I love it so much because actually out of all those descriptions, the essence of the fartlek comes out the most. That's it. Really... It's quite incredible the way that we change the way that we're running based on our intentions with it. So I had a coach. Well, you've heard me talk about him so many times. But Dave Hodgkinson, where he's like, I just saw you run across the field because I was cheering on teammates. So I was just running across the field. I was not having it be like running as an exercise. It was running in play. I would call that play, going and cheering on my teammates. He's like, Andy, the way that you ran – when you ran to cheer on your teammates, just running across the field, I want you to do more of that because my running economy was better. I was near muscularly activating in a proper way, which it doesn't make sense, right? Because I was not thinking about it so intensely, but I was actually doing it doing it better. So anyway, mm. I think about the speed play. I think about how children run and they play. They, you know, it's tag. They're running up. Uh, a hill and sledding back down they're just running for the sake of running and yep. we've kind of gotten away from that at least some of us have in adulthood you know and, and even ah, such a great example so what did hodge tell you andy he said run run like you're trying to go somewhere or something like that that might have been him or it might have been oh, that my was, interpretation no, 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 that, was, uh, that was swinger that was swinger oh, right, uh, okay. in, in runner's fix so All run right. like you're trying to go somewhere um okay so yes think about a kid's running for a moment if you've ever had kids and you've tried to get them to run like a track race, I'm talking like five, maybe six years old or something like that. And you say, okay, now go run around this track as fast as you can. There's like this, for most kids, this like 
what am I doing right now? Kind of look like I'm just kind of running and everyone else is running around me. And then, and then they realize like, I need to be faster than the kid next to me. And they run really fast. And they're like, oh, and, but everyone's still just running and they're just trying to figure it out. However, if you say race me to the pole over there, mm -hmm. go, it's yep. a totally different thing. You're right on. Why? Because of that. So yeah. we're going to try to use that as the guiding force. When we talk about what is a fart lick, that is it. But I'm guessing you feel like that's still not enough. Right. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense yet. So we're going to get there. Um, but now you at least have the guiding principle. We're talking about playtime workout. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. So we're going to get to now why we run uh, fartlicks. Yes. Um, so in, in, in saying that about Barry, um, in the last year and a half or so that I've been working under Barry's guidance, I've tried to refine the spirit and intent of fartlick workouts. And so our goal as, as we describe it when we talk with any of our athletes about this thing, our goal in a much broader sense is not only to like be fitter and faster and perform better. You know, I'm assuming most of you want to be better, uh, but not just running faster, but being a better runner, mm -hmm. which we could describe as being more intuitive yes. runner. So in all of this, as we were talking about the many definitions and how we love as runners to put spe specification on our workouts and really create them and conjure them and control them, one of the things that we miss when we do that is listening and becoming very intuitive with our bodies. And so the intent of fartlek running is to tap into that, which will help us become better runners. We've heard from Emma Bates, who's on our podcast. She talks about her intuition during races. She talks about how she's able to instinctually change pace in in a marathon. And I think that fartlicking is something that can help us develop this sense, this intuitive sense, connecting our mind and our body. So mm. when we do fartlicks, we work through a range of efforts and that challenges our bodies to change rhythm. Because we're running faster, we break the habitual pace patterns that we might do day to day. And in that, we have the opportunity to engage neuromuscularly differently by providing new and different inputs. So if in a word, the why for fartlicks is different than the why for anything else, because certainly part of the why with any training is increasing fitness. And so depending on the kind of fitness work you're trying to do, aerobic, anaerobic, or some of those things, um, fartlicks can mold into other, they, they're moldable workout. We know this because we've been describing it that way the whole time. However, the one element that is always true with a fartlek workout in its intent, in its why, is neuromuscular. So in order to make sure we're achieving that, we have to look at the rest of what we're doing and look at how fartlicks fit in that puzzle neuromuscularly in a way that's different than some of the other things. So that, that's key. We think about why, uh, how to accomplish a fartlek. That's going to be the first line uh, in the sand that we have to cross. Um, so in doing that, I guess that's kind of the, that's the transition here, which is how then do we run fartleks? Um, in this thing, how do we run fartleks? Because lots of people run them yes. different ways. How should anyone run fartleks to accomplish this goal? Okay, yeah. Yes. Let's do that first. So, so yeah, people use fartleks in like they use the word tempo. They describe lots of things with fartleks, and, and that's generally true, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's accomplishing the spirit of the original intent of that type of workout, okay? Sure. So there are lots of repeat workouts, as mentioned earlier. They have different kinds of purposes, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, the fartlek can be a lot of different types of purposes, but fundamentally, it should always be neuromuscular in, in value. Um, and then in that sense, that playtime aspect of it, uh, a fartlek is intended to be something that's unstructured because you're supposed to be more natural with it. That was what Andy was getting at with, with the intuitive side of things. Um, and so how we accomplish that can be very difficult at times. And, and this is where we try to explain it as best as we can without being too specific. Because I could tell you how to run a fartlek, you, you do a ladder because then you're getting a whole spectrum, right? Uh, do a ladder from 10 seconds up to five minutes and, you know, just like any, whatever the in-between stuff, right? If you, if you have a coach tell you that, it's not like wrong no, to do that, a ladder. That I mean, is a type of fartlek. It is a type of fartlek. However, I don't tell our athletes and I specifically feel like most coaches when they're trying to get at this, they do that because they feel like the athlete needs something specific More or direction. they don't know what to do. 
but I want you as an athlete to figure out what to do in the workout based off how you're feeling and what feels good to do. The whole playtime thing. And so I don't want to give you a workout that says run this repeat and then this repeat and then this repeat because no longer is it accomplishing one of those fundamental purposes of the workout. So instead, it's something like do a variety of distances and a variety of recoveries um, and based on how you're feeling and some of those kinds of things. So let's let's give some guidelines here because this, this is helpful then. How, how do I make sure I still accomplish that? Um, the first is in the jogging in between is a really important consideration. For a fartlek, in this type of repeat workout, you want full recovery in between your sessions. Um, otherwise, we're getting into something slightly different. Now, this could be still an aerobic workout. This also could be an anaerobic workout, but the intent here is full recovery. And so there's lots of jogging. It should be jogging as you feel. A lot of coaches will say something like equal time jogging. So if I, I rent hard for two minutes, then jog for two minutes or hard for 800 meters, jog for 800 meters. Uh, but again, that's not really the intent here. The intent is for you to feel fully recovered. But it's so helpful, as Zach was mentioning, that the whole ladder to, to give structure to someone who might be new to fartlicks when we're learning that intuitive phase. Zach has had to tell me I wasn't getting ample amounts of recovery in between because I was excited. So he told me, like, do the same duration rest as you did for the hard portion of it. And that was helpful to me as I was still learning to be intuitive because it is a learned skill. So don't feel badly if you're like, I have no idea. That is completely normal because just like any muscle, this is something we have to we have to exercise and to get better at and to tune into. Mm. So in that sense, then, the recovery side of it is pretty easy to figure out. You should just go easy until you feel recovered. Um, so then how about the hard side of it? If a coach won't tell you exactly how long to run each interval, then how do you know how long to run. And the first thing is variation and diversity matters. Um, because remember, neuromuscular is one of the key delineations for this workout type. So variation here across the full spectrum of basically everything from, I mean, easy running is no longer kind of like in hard interval. So anything faster than easy running all the way down to like a dead sprint, right? But how long you're running hard and how hard you're running have a lot to do at that point with what kind of workout you're needing to accomplish. So if you need it to stay aerobic or if you need it to be an anaerobic type of workout, it can be both, obviously, with what we just described. So that's going to matter. But the key here is variation, even if it's one or the other type there. And it's nice, too, to learn where to feel the line is as well. It can also be helpful for that because, like, for me in marathon training, I don't want to go anaerobic. So if that's I because I told you not to go in aerobic, it costs but. too much in recovery. <laughs> yeah. That's the idea when you're when you're building volume and you're conditioning. So it is it's been good for me to learn where the line is mm -hmm. as well. So and that's another part of the intuitive running aspect that you're able to train. Yeah, and so that's that's where you got to know if the intent here is I'm in an aerobic period and I'm trying to do aerobic workouts, then I need this to be an aerobic workout. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't still do some like hard repeats. You just do them short enough or slow enough that it's not overdoing things. And that's where that, you know, the long, longer jogs for recovery and such matter too. Now consider all of these things. So full recovery of jogging and varying that stuff. Then the question is, how do I execute this in a way so I can accomplish those goals without knowing exactly what to do? And this is where you get into like these, these really, strange recommendations and tips. So one, one example is I told one of our athletes, Brace one yourself. Time, yeah, I told one of our athletes, I want you to run this workout like you're a fox chasing a rabbit. And the whole time, just imagine you're a fox chasing a rabbit. And sometimes the rabbit tears off and you got to just hunt him down. And then he, you know, takes a sharp corner and you got to change speed. Or sometimes you see the rabbit in the distance and you're going to kind of like quickly move up on him, but you're not going crazy yet. And then suddenly bolt. You know, so basically I was trying to get at the point of like, just put your mind into a totally different place. Not like I'm trying to execute a workout and repetitions, but rather I'm a thing doing something. And that's where when Andy's coach observed her running across the field in the race and Hodge says to her, you know, you need to train like that. Um, like you're trying to run somewhere as Swinger puts it. Um, yes. So then how do I put myself in the mind to do that? Well, a lot of people with fartlicks actually say run to a thing. So look up ahead, yeah. find a tree in the distance and run to it. That's what I do. And if it's really far away, don't run too hard. And if right. it's really close, go hard. Yeah. And 
I guess, so here's what Arthur Lydiard told his runners to do with fart licks is most of the time he would call these park runs um, or he would have them do park runs for these. And that's like, not like today's parks where, you know, it's freshly mowed grass or wood chip trails or something like that. Parks in New Zealand in the 1960s. All right. So basically it's just fields and some woods <laughs> and then go run through there and, you know, look around for a little bit and see something you want to go run after and go run after it. And then when you get there, jog for a while until you're feeling recovered again and find something else. And if you see a tree, jump over – or sorry, a fallen tree. Don't jump over a standing tree. That <laughs> might not end well. But if you see – you know, if you see a creek, jump over it. If you see a rock, step off it. And so, like, his whole thing was do running in the, like, the rawest form possible. And I just love that. Yeah. And that's that's that playtime piece. Remember what Barry told me? It's playtime strides. Have some fun. And Barry would tell me, he's like, you know, go find a trail somewhere, or uh, you know, find find like some just abnormal terrain that you don't generally run on. Don't go on a straight road that's ten miles long, and all you're doing is just like surging a little bit here and there. Make it more interesting. Yeah. Because that helps us better accomplish the original purpose. Mm -hmm. That intuitive effort running piece, the neuromuscular side of it. And the key to all of this being we have to put ourselves in a slightly different mindset than mm -hmm. a normal mm -hmm. repeat workout might be. So don't run fartlicks on a track. Don't run fartlicks on your straight bike path unless you have to, obviously, then, then you do. But Oops, definitely don't run fartlicks a on a track. I'm going to – oh, Dan, I'm, I'm talking to you. Dan, stop running <laughs> fartlicks on a track. So, I don't know if you're actually listening to this, Dan, but um, not that I'm calling you out necessarily except I am. And – the point being because we all have have to wrestle with I, this. I've done it on a track it. before too when I was practicing my spikes. Yes. That's a, that's a little different though. With, uh, anyway. Um, now, let's get to the when for a moment because this actually changes a lot of the how as well. When do you run fartleks? Of course, you can do them anytime because a fartlek can be the kind of workout you use regardless of Moldable. what kind of training you're in. <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be. Um, if I'm doing marathon fartleks and I want it to be like marathon pace type of work during a long run, you can do that. If I'm just starting running for the first time in my life and I want to do a little bit of like some walk jogging stuff, that's a kind of fartlek. Um, so the type of training you're doing and the type of fitness you're trying to grow, if I'm working on energy systems aerobically or working on energy systems anaerobically, if I'm working on my glycolytic type of stuff or alactic things, and you know whatever it is I need to grow, I can use a fartlek to do that. Um, so it's less a question of when, because the answer is anytime you want, and more a question of how does it look depending on when I mm -hmm. am in my training. Yeah. Um, and this is great because then this this question actually came directly from one of our athletes, Bill, who asked very intuitively, does the purpose of the fartlek change during a cycle, during a season? And the answer is yes, because it, it can be, it's always neuromuscular, but it can be aerobic or anaerobic, you know, all this stuff. So here's, here's how we go about this. If I am trying to do aerobic work, like a conditioning phase, or I'm building, I'm just establishing base, however the terms are in your training plans and whatever they look like, um, then use a fartlek aerobically do not go out there and start deadening your system anaerobically hammering over and over with not enough rest or recovery um, you know don't do that because that's delaying the adaptations you're going to accomplish from the rest of your high quality aerobic work and make it a little bit harder to do that work so instead keep the fart like aerobic right but if i'm in an anaerobic phase and i go out there and this is the best part um, there's an old story, and, and Lydiard tells it again in his own book, Running with Lydiard, but um, I think the story is even better told uh, before he put it down into writing because uh, it's funnier. But anyway, the old story of Lydiard when he's got an athlete at a track <laughs> doing a workout, and another coach or someone else who's at the track sees him and his athlete. He's like, oh, you know, what's what's the athlete doing? He's, he's like, he's doing repeats or something. I don't know exactly what word he said. But it, then the coach says to Lydiard, how many? And he says, well, I don't know. And he, and he says to him, well, how fast? Well, I don't know because he has no stopwatch. He's not timing him. And then the coach leaves this conversation thinking that's the worst coach I've ever heard of. But hey, of course, but they did it at a track sack. So well, in this, this is all in I don't actually defense. know. But keep in mind when he says track, that that could mean several different things. It doesn't have well, to like. I think you can track. do it on a track as long as you keep it under control. Of course you can. However, Lydiard was having his athlete doing something anaerobically. This was not okay. This is not the same thing as the park run fartleks. And so here's what Lydiard says. He goes, you know, when I, in, a, in a situation like this, when I want an athlete to do uh, anaerobic work, um, I could have them go and do like 400 repeats on a track. And that can accomplish the goal. However, what I like to do 
according to Lydiard, is I like to tell an athlete, go find an area where you can see something a little ways away and run hard to it and then jog back and then run hard to it again and then jog back and just keep doing that until you feel your legs starting to get heavy and then you're done. And that is an anaerobic workout. Now, again, that's a fart lick, but, but it's a very structured one in the sense that you're just doing the same thing over and over because he's, all he's doing is he's trying to introduce that lactic experience to the legs, but not overdo it. So that's anaerobic by design or intent, but it's still using a fart lick in that Mm -hmm. instance. So can you kind of tell our audience what we usually do for fart licking? Because we don't do the 20 to 60 second. No. So ours are typically longer in marathon training. So when when you look at what you're trying to accomplish, if, if it's aerobic and you're in a conditioning phase, then the answer in general is what your body needs the most from the fartlek workout is the short, quick stuff because you're doing a lot of easier or longer stuff. You're doing steady state runs. You're doing long runs. You're doing jogging or easy efforts for most of your mileage, that kind of thing. And so look at the training and say, okay, in that position, I need quick stuff. I need short stuff. And so then the fartlek's best purpose is occasional bouts of some steady runs mixed in with short, fast sprints. This is where Livingstone drew his description from, by the way, short, fast sprints and a couple kind of like moderate, like one or two minute long, pretty hard, but not, you know, you're not killing yourself to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as a consequence, you're getting a very successful neuromuscular stimulation. You're able to run whatever feels comfortable. So some days those, those more steady effort types of things, you know, Andy described this once, you know, so I'll run an hour steady on Monday, right? Or I'll I'll use you because I'm describing your example. You run an hour steady on Monday, right? And then on Wednesday, two days later, you're doing a fart lick and four or five minutes at a time, sometimes during that fart lick, you might run steady effort and yet it's slower then your hour-long steady run on Monday and feels harder. What is going on? Why is that, Andy? Because you're changing speeds. Mm. Changing speeds can be difficult. You're breaking rhythm. And that is very true. That's challenging. But also, you're, you're, you're kind of overloading your system a little bit because you're going hard and then you're going slower and you're trying to kind of like maintain a strong effort, but it's not quite as fast. Then you're like at a quick dead sprint. And then you're going back to a different pace again. So it tends to it tends to actually be quite challenging to feel good at all these different efforts. And what you have to do as you're doing this is you have to try to override that, that system response of like what's going on here. And that's why this idea of like go out into a forest and just run at something because it totally takes away all these other factors of – like I'm trying to feel, I don't feel the same as my steady run did the other day, or this pace is off. Don't think about pace. Yeah. Don't mess with that at all. Don't worry about whether it feels the same as that other workout. It's a totally different workout. And let me challenge many of you. I have heard this from a few people. You don't want to do longer ones just so that your average pace is faster <laughs> because then it oh. looks better on Strava. I, hey, hey. I'm laughing. I'm not at judging. You. I'm not judging. I'm just saying this is it's a difficult thing because sometimes if you're doing like faster stuff, your jogs are gonna be slower. And your your yeah. So overall your average will be slower if you're doing the higher intensity throughout. If you're ever making a choice in your training because of because Strava, you're making a bad choice. <laughs> Hey. Or at least you're making it for bad reasons. I guess like, you could make a good choice, but you're still making it for bad reasons. Oh, gosh. Now, in, in saying that, yeah. So we, we like to like compare. This is goes back to the objectifying everything. And so we look at a fart lick. You know, it's an hour-long fart lick. And I did this for the last three weeks in a row. And the first week, my, my average pace during that fart lick time was, was clipping along. I was really moving. The second week, eh, it was a little bit quicker. So that third week, I'm thinking it should be a little bit quicker, right? And then it's like way slower. What happened? Well, my answer is, who cares? <laughs> it <laughs> does not matter. Yeah. Remember, if you're doing the fartlek right, then you have no idea if you're actually running the same amount of hard time or easy time. If you're doing it on various terrain, which you should be if you can, then the terrain, of course, is making a big difference. How many hills were you running? Did you jump trees or not jump trees that day? <laughs> did you trip through a fence or did you actually clear it? So, yes, there, 
none of that should matter because the fart lick accomplishes its purpose regardless of those things. So then, of course, we have questions like, okay, if I if I want to do a fart lick for an hour, about how much of it should be hard running? Well, yes, there is a guiding principle, probably in the vicinity of 30 minutes should be hard running, but it depends entirely on how much time I spend doing any given hard intervals. Because if I'm doing a lot of shorter, quicker stuff, then I'm going to have a lot less hard running yeah, than yeah. easy running. That's very true. But if I'm doing a, a larger mix and I have kind of more longer stuff and more shorter, quicker stuff and like a balance, it's probably going to be more even. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter. It really doesn't yeah. matter as long as I'm accomplishing that fundamental goal of lots of variety, lots of pace changes, never overdoing it. You know, don't just bury yourself in these fartlek workouts and have fun. Bye. Do it fun. in a way that is interesting and dynamic. Yeah. And so this is where we get into things. And this is this is the last, intentionally, this is the last comment I wanted to make in terms of like specifics. Because when I was coaching high school, high school coaches can get really clever with fartleks to make them interesting for their kids. Now, first of all, if you've ever done that, like that single file run, you know, if you've raced high school, if you've run high school cross country, you've done this. You have to. And the one in the back has to run really fast to the front. And then when they get to the front, they control the pace and they can keep running fast if they want. And everyone has to try to keep up. But then the next one in the back can bolt. Right. And so whether they signal the team, you know, when you get to the front or they just watch them and try to figure it out. But whatever the case may be, that is a fartlek workout. That's a very clever coach's way of making athlete, athletes think they're not doing a workout when, of course, they are. And then athletes think they're gaming the system to their coach when they do things like dog it. You know, so it's like I get up to the front and then I just like start jogging so slow. And then the kid behind me wants to be like really mean to everybody else. And he takes off and doesn't stop when he gets to the front. And so we have to chase him down. Yeah. But, th but that's exactly the yeah, I know, point. You're, always gonna have you're a doing what the coach too. wanted you to do, whatever weirdness you're doing. Yeah. So that's a great example. Mm -hmm. Now, how about another one? I had a coach who did ultimate Frisbee oh, one like day that. a week. I like that. But his rule was you can never stand still. You could, in fact, get down to like a nearly a walking. Now, of course, if you have the Frisbee in your hands, you have to stand still, right? So, yes, of course, if you have the Frisbee, you aren't still moving. But everyone else, you can never stand still. Um, and so the entire principle of Ultimate Frisbee is that it's a nonstop fart lick because as soon as someone's got the Frisbee and then you're taking it off and you're bolting and then, uh, you know, someone caught it and we're jogging a little bit or now we have to switch directions or someone scored and everyone jogs back. It's great. That's a great example. Yeah. So I like fun Fridays and those high school teams that ultimate Frisbee is a good one. There are some fun Fridays I've seen that were not any good, but like capture the flag is another one that can be a fart, like a pretty effective one. Depends on how many people you have playing, but mm -hmm. the one that I did, and this was not my intentional choice, but when I was coaching high schoolers, this happened purely happenstance. And it was one of the greatest things that happened to our team because it became a nonstop tradition. But one of the runners found Sean, I'm talking about you. I don't know if you listen, but anyway, so Sean found while we were running a tennis ball, right? Nothing special. He found a tennis ball and turned to, I don't know who it was, one of the other kids on the team. And I'm assuming it was either Grant or Ryan. So yes, I'm talking to you guys, um, turned to them and basically said, go long. And the kid takes off and he wings the tennis ball. Now, if you've ever tried to play catch with a tennis ball, you better catch it because the thing just goes crazy if you don't. Well, this became this thing where they would just run through the neighborhood, throwing the tennis ball around all over the place. And everyone's just running around trying to catch the tennis ball. Well, we had like 40 kids in the team. It doesn't really work with 40 kids at the same time. So we started grabbing tennis balls and every like little group of people would have their own tennis ball and go just doing their Not, uh, not everyone did it. Unfortunately, some were like, nah, I don't want to do that. Some probably, um, can't like catch very well. That's I'm the point. That's the whole point. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. Yeah. We're runners, Andy. We don't uh, really yeah. do those things well. So anyway, that again was a great way. So we started doing that, uh, not always weekly, but generally about once a week. Um, and, it, and it was one of our fart lick workouts mm -hmm. and the athletes may or may not have even known mm -hmm. that they stumbled upon a great way for me to accomplish a goal that I wasn't really finding a good way to accomplish at the time. Now I do want to mention with all this talk about fart licks and the benefits that they have. I ran my mile PR with only having the fart lick and oh, some yeah. striding for neuromuscular oh, yeah. activation. I hadn't done traditional interval training and these fartleks were playtime. They they were not high. They weren't super high okay, intensity. Okay, listen, either, people. So. Let's put a number on this. Andy ran four fifty eight in a mile. Was it a full mile or sixteen hundred? It was I full mile. Full mile. Four fifty eight. So for those of you who are like, oh wow, that's actually pretty quick. Yes, it is. Um, now, 
She did that 12 years after her previous mile PR was set when she was a collegiate All-American runner, middle distance runner. So do the math, folks. Training for a marathon, doing nothing to try to specifically get fast in middle distances. She ran 12 years later a two-second full mile PR. Why? How? Because what does the body need to accomplish those things? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good example. I had no 400 meter repeats to indicate to me that I but was she in sub kept five saying shape. to me, I need to be doing 400 <laughs> meter repeats. And I'm like, for what? Because uh, I like, because we love, we just love as, yeah. as runners, I, I shouldn't speak for all of us, but many of us really love the assurance yep. that data can give us. Yep. But I am here to tell you as proof that it's, it's not about the data and that we can use it to our advantage at times, but sometimes it's exactly the opposite that we need, and that's intuitive running versus a data-controlled run. So there's a place for the things like the data and such, um, but that place is a backseat to the more important work that we're trying to do when we're training, and that's one of the reasons why we love Fartlicks because it's a path to a higher degree of success in some of those bigger goals, and if we implement it in the right way, can be an an excellent resource in any point in our training. And one of our biggest goals as coaches and as athletes is becoming more intuitive runners. There you have it. So now you know everything you need to know about fartlicks and you can explain them quite clearly to anyone who asks. Starting In an hour. <laughs> starting with the Swedish definition, which is speed, play. Emphasis and never forget about the play. play. First of all, in the world of running, congratulations to A to Z runner, Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea. She ran a four-minute PR at CIM this past weekend. And if any of you know Chelsea, give her a little shout-out and encouragement because while she was very excited to run a significant PR, she also missed the Boston time by 12 seconds, Yeah, which is hard to do. We've been there. We have been there. So we (laughs) get it, Chelsea. We know that feeling. But... What an incredible run. And, and you will PR. get it. You yep. will get it. And this time we were, we were chatting this time last year, she wasn't even able to walk without pain. So knee problem. Yeah. 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 So Excellent. she's come a long way. She's been super diligent and she is a, has become a very intuitive runner as we were just talking about Indeed in our that. episode. Yeah. So now. Great. Well, let's talk about the first on our list, the USA half marathon championships which was also the road circuit championships Mm -hmm. for the 2021 circuit yes the men's race newly Ah. pro newly minted (laughs) minted connor mance won his pro debut and you've heard us speak of him recently because he took the ncaa cross country championship just a couple weeks ago for his second time for a second time yep Mm -hmm. coming from byu and now running for nike so he's riding high, and just like he did at the NCAA Cross Country Championships, he won this one in a battle. <laughs> it was it was really quite something. Um, just barely over Sam Shalanga, who really knows his stuff yes. in the distance running. So Connor Mance out kicking Shalanga for a one flat and fifty five second, one hour flat, fifty five seconds. So sixty and fifty five, mm-hmm. which is especially significant because it's also number eight on the USA all time list tied um with no, no, tied for number eight and his first ever half marathon so great work Connor what Mance. a debut <laughs> what a debut in both both ways both for the half marathon and as a pro and getting that u.s title right there you know right away very exciting and in a great way to do it um with actually having to battle that's that's a difficult mm-hmm. thing to do speaking of which sam chalenga who got the runner-up placement there and uh, push Connor to that amazing time and debut. He was also second in the entire road racing circuit. Ah, yes. yes. Good. We'll so, get to those standings here in a minute, too, because it's always interesting to see how that broke down yeah. after an entire year of of racing. And now we talk about Sam Chalenga here in the show because, well, of course, he's in running news, but he's also been on the podcast before. So I'll make sure I link to that at A2ZRunning.com. Speaking of great races, not long after in the women's race... Actually, they finished before. Well, the yes, men's they, race. they actually started first. Mm-hmm. I just mean in terms of finishing time, but thank yes. you. 
Now, the first of many times I'll say the name Kira D'Amato on this episode. She the won. The first of many times? Uh, yes. Well, you've said that name a lot on this Kira D'Amato. Kira D'Amato. I'll make sure I say it a lot right now. But she <laughs> got her first ever U.S. title, which is hard to believe because she has been hot on the running scene in the last few years. She won in a blazing time of 107.55 for the championship record. Whoa. Uh-huh. And she tied number four U.S. all-time. Wow. That's tied with Jordan Hesse, the legendary Jordan Hesse. Mm-hmm. That's only behind the likes of Molly Huddle, Emily Sisson. I mean, this is incredible work. Yes. Is it not? It absolutely Amazing. is. And she won by over 90 seconds, Zach. Yeah, indeed. So, so she was doing this without having that battle to the finish like you know Sam and Connor were doing in the men's race. She was doing this, pressing the pace on her own. Yeah, that's really something. Mm-hmm. Now, the runner-up position was Natasha Rogers, who's been on the podcast before as well. So Kira has, I have a, quite a Andy's few Andy's basically going to remind you every single time excited, she's ever okay? interviewed someone. So, yes. Natasha Rogers, she ended up claiming the silver uh, over Dakota Linworm, and she got herself a PR. And she also earned her spot on Team USA for the World Half Marathon Championships coming up in China. Excellent. Yes. So that was that was an especially important run there when you can uh, when you can get a world Absolutely. world team spot too. And briefly, recent podcast guests McKenna Morley, Erica Kemp, and Allie Kiefer were fifth, sixth, and seventh respectively. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, how many of the top seven have been on there? all <laughs> except one? Uh, two. We need Dakota Linworm on this podcast. Uh, yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> and Speaking then we have, of, <laughs> we have Shawana White. She was a previous guest. She also hit records in the ten mile and the twenty k, which were official in this race as well hmm. for age group, and then uh, a South Carolina resident record. Ah. So yes. congrats to Shawana White and Zach. This was also the wrapping up of the whole road racing circuit. So you mentioned telling us the standings. Yes. So if you recall, the the USA does a road championship circuit year round. And it's from distances from 5K through marathon. Um, and it's it's starts like in January and goes through then to December. So they're spread out a lot. Um, there's a point system. Basically, you know, if you, if you score in the top 10, you get points. And if you score enough points by the end, you have the most, you get a prize money. Um, and then it, within all of that, there's like different weights and such. So like the road championship, cha- the road circuit championship, the half marathon is weighted a little bit more than some of the other ones, you know, things of that nature. But the, the spirit of it here is you can guess no one runner is like mega fit for every single one of these races because they're just throughout the year all over the country and they're pretty close together. Like they're, they're often like a couple of weeks apart at most. And so as a consequence, you get a lot of different people running really well in these events. And what it comes down to is can you place well enough in enough of them to hit the points? Yeah. And this is where strategies tend to, you know, it's always really interesting. So in the standings for the men, Bia Simbasa took the men's title quite handedly. And, and it's simply because he won two and was runner up in two of the events. He wasn't in this half marathon. He wasn't in that one. And only having placed in four of them, he didn't run most of the events, but he placed so well in mm-hmm. all four of them that he did that he ended up taking the crown. Mm-hmm. And, and that, it was Sam Chalenga, mm-hmm, as, as mentioned. Andy mentioned, in uh-huh. second. Only, what was it, Andy? Half, Half a point, point yeah. over third place, Clayton Young. Yes. Who made his pro debut debut this year, winning the 15K title at the very beginning of the year. So. Yeah, and so Clayton was also on our podcast. <laughs> I keep mentioning that. I'm sorry, but the thing is, is that we have really key insights from these amazing runners and as we talk about them in the world of running running i'd love to mention that we can really get into their heads and discuss amazing topics with these runners speaking of which i don't know if there is a more fitting person to win the road racing championships than erica kemp who talked with us about trying new distances which she did almost all of these were new distances this year (laughs) She tried all these new distances in the road racing circuit, and she ended up winning the whole thing mm-hmm. as she was going and trying and had the had the freedom to pursue these races without having any other experiences that were going to tell her exactly what she was going to do in this race. Yeah, and so Erica Kemp's uh, example here is the one of the keep showing up mantra. Um, she did not win you know, several races like Bia Simbasa did, but she placed well 
in lots of them. Yeah, she and did as win. A consequence, she, she she did win one. Yes, yeah. she did. I'm I'm not saying she wasn't good, Andy. I'm saying she <laughs> didn't have to win all of them to win this title. Uh-huh. So I think that's really I think that's really kind of cool. Um, and in along those lines, and then then the standings went to McKenna Morley in second and Emily Durgan in third, mm-hmm. and all three of them fit this build. They were in a lot of these races, running really well. Right. And I did want to mention for Erica Kemp that she was on the podium for the 5K mm. and the 25K. So it's quite a spread range. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. All now right. on to the <laughs> news that you've heard a lot of buzz about. And Everyone's that is talking. the U.S. Olympic Marathons trial standards, which affect both of us as we you know have run in the trials before and had hoped to again. We shall see. Maybe. First of all, let's talk about the change in the standards. Yeah. Okay. So we knew they were going to get faster. Everyone knew they were going to get faster. If they didn't or if they thought they weren't, it's because they weren't paying enough attention to what was going on. So the history there is the World Championships or sorry, the Olympic uh, 2020 standard suddenly got super fast. They changed the structure of how you qualify for the Olympics um, in terms of the standards. And as a consequence, it freed the United States to adjust theirs because keep in mind, the United States... Uh, by some sportsmanship law or another, is not allowed to have a standard for the trials that's faster than for the Olympics. And consequently, you had the situation in 2016 where the U.S. standard was 218 for the men and 243 for the women. And then the Olympics late in 29, or sorry, 2015 announced that they're going to change their standard that for the upcoming Olympic Games. And they slowed it down, 219 for the men, 245 for the women. So the United States had to change its standard, but they did it retroactively. It was in December of 2015, only two months before the Olympic trials, which were going to be in February in L.A. And so as a consequence, you had athletes like yours truly who had not run the standard previously. I ran 218 and change. So I missed it, barely. I feel you, Chelsea. Missed the standard, but in December, months after I had run that marathon, I found out, in fact, I was actually in for the race in two months. Yeah. And and thus the same for many women who had run slower than 243 but faster than 245. So they had to do that because mm-hmm. you're not allowed to have a standard that's faster than the Olympic standard. Well, now But the Olympic, the Olympic standard, standard is crazy is fast, so fast now. Guys. So they've changed their structure completely. Now the time standard is wicked fast, but then there's a rankings qualification option, which is where most people end up qualifying. Most people do not run the time standard to qualify for the Olympics. Well, in our country, you do have In to our country, you do. The because Olympic our country standard. has enough fast people right. that that's just going to happen. Yes. But in, in the world, you don't have to run the time. You can qualify by ranking as long as you're ranked well enough. But each country can only take a maximum of three. Three, yeah. So all of that being the case, that means that United States has a ton of space now to change their standards. And of course, because we knew that previously, we knew they were going to make them faster. It was a question of how much faster. So that's where the conversation gets mm-hmm. interesting. Because on the men's side, the standard went from 219, which was the 2020 standard, 2016 standard, to to 18 for right. 2024 which is only a minute faster and in fact was the same standard they had had back in 2016 before the change mm-hmm. had happened so a lot of men were like huh well okay if i could run 219 i could probably still run 218 like it's not that much different in a marathon that most people are just kind of like shrugging thinking well that's a little crisper but let's give it a shot right for the women it changes things stiff it's yes. a stiff so change it went from 245 to 237 whoa Big change. Eight minutes. However, I do want to mention, and this helps bring some clarity to the situation, the Olympic standard for the men is 211. 211.30? Yes, I believe so. Yep. 211.30, and the women is 229.30. So for our standard in the U.S. to be 245 and the Olympic standard to be 229.30 – it, you can mm. see why we might have needed to lower the standard, right? Indeed. So when I was anticipating there to be a drop. Of course, I'm like crossing my fingers. It's not too much of a drop for my own sake. But I can see the logic behind it. Yep. Now, there is a seven and a half minute gap between the U.S. standard for the women um, and the Olympic standard. And the men, it's six and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. 
And that seems pretty comparable. It seems to make a little more sense, yeah. Makes yeah. a little bit more sense. Now, there's a half marathon thing. Go to our website if you want to see the details or find it online or something. We're not going to spend too much time talking about that right now. But you can qualify with a half marathon time. Um, I just want to mention, though, what does this mean for the numbers? Because there, there was a clear reason why the U.S. did that um, as dramatically as they did by the just the objective look. But then also you had the situation in 2020 where you had over 500 women qualify for the u.s olympic marathon trials exhilarating unprecedented that had never happened before um and so when you look at that and you say okay over 500 women and about 250 men which is a significant discrepancy um then when you change the standards this is what gets crazy so you go from in the men's standard one minute faster and you lose somewhere in the vicinity of like 100 to 75 runners who would have qualified who wouldn't anymore with the new standard right but for the women, by the eight-minute drop, you go from 501 who qualified with the previous standard to if those same women had run those same times, only 83 of them would qualify for the 2024 trials. Mm -hmm. 500 to 83. By the numbers, that's about 17%, according to Let's Run, athlete of the total. Whoa. That's so now again, we know though, because USA has always basically had the mindset of we, we want to see somewhere around a hundred runners in the field, uh, give or take. Usually it's more than that, but somewhere around a hundred. And so it kind of makes sense when you say, okay, we're going to slice it down to a number that gets us closer to that hundred, but to undercut it that much seems a little bit severe to many, which is where you get a lot of the, there, there's some vitriol out yeah. there going on and i think that that's where it tends to come from which is why why so many were were cut out in that sense but i mean so our take andy how do you feel about it from a marketing perspective ah. i think that having more women more buzz more advertisement for the sport every small town was doing an article about the girl from there the woman from their small town who made the olympic trials that's not going to happen if there's only 100 you're limiting the amount of exposure mm. for the sport of running. You're limiting the amount of impressions via social media and elsewhere. Mm. I think from a marketing perspective, it doesn't make sense. I understand from the perspective of will these women make our Olympic team work? That the objective of the Olympic trials is to see who will represent Team USA. Yeah. So if a woman qualifies like me at 245, but... In the United States of America, we do have to run the 229 for the Olympic standard. I hope that makes sense to all of you. But the <laughs> Olympic standard needs to be met in the U.S. because we have so many women who have run under that standard. Does it make sense to have me competing for a spot? Uh, it, you know, it really the the possibility of me running that time just at the Olympic trials without having evidence of that beforehand probably not likely so yeah i would say this what's the what's the motivation why do the olympic trials race and certainly this like the qualification thing they don't, they don't have to do that i mean they could do what most countries in the world do which is basically just take pick three people that are good marathoners and offer them a spot on the team you could do that um to avoid controversy to have a runoff instead which makes a lot of sense to me uh, but the other side of it is can that race serve running better and if it can we ought to explore that more. And I don't think USATF really cares can. about things like that. And I believe that part of the essence of the Olympic trials is the Olympic dream. And having more people who are pursuing higher heights in the sport, it's actually going to elevate the whole sport. So creating an atmosphere and standards that are going to allow for more participants could indeed bring up the level of performance from the entire women's field in the USA. So there are lots of arguments to be made for having more runners, but of course that's not up to the public to decide. It's This is not a part of what we get to vote on or decide. <laughs> so anyway, let's go on to number three. I mean, <laughs> talk to that one to death. Number three, the Newberry Park Boys High School team. And we have to talk about them at least very briefly here because they proved what we suspected, which is that there has likely never been a high school boys team 
like them in the history in the history of time. Um, time. And and so here's here's your background. If you recall, we started talking about them earlier in the year because it was like, wow, these guys are all fast. Like they they have all fast runners, and they're like basically all the best in the country. Well, they just held the national championship. So Nike Cross Nationals is one of two national championships that they have in cross country for prep teams, um, but they canceled this year. And so instead, the Running Lane Nationals held that race. And the Running Lane National Championships was held on a very fast course. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, allowed for individuals and teams to compete. And on the team side of things, the Newberry Park boys won the race by scoring 28 points. Snap. 28 points. That's not very many, folks. It's not very many. It's like golf. And like the, like the previous best was like 70. So... They just crushed everyone. Now, it gets better than that because not only did they score so well, they took first, second, third, and sixth place. So their top four boys were the top six in the country. And their fifth dude was like 40-something place. So it's not like he was that far back to begin with. Okay, so yes, that's amazing. But it just keeps getting better because then you start to look at the times. I mentioned it was a fast course. We'll get to that. But... They are so Did fast. Did you mention yet that two boys. of them were brothers? No, not yet. Okay. Um, so Sorry, <laughs> spoiler. These boys are so fast. Well, every, here's what everyone's saying is like, okay, so they just, all three of those boys on the same team all ran faster than Dathan Ritzenhine's previous high school cross-country 5K record. Which yes. has stood for a 21 years. <laughs> all three of them and their yeah. top three ran faster. So that that's something. Two of those three are twin brothers, Lex and Leo Young. So- that means something. Now, here's the the caveat here. Everyone's like, well, yes, so they ran that fast, but that course is blazing fast. They knew it. They it's built true. the course to be that fast. It was intentional. Um, Dathan ran 1410, on, and these boys ran 1403, 1405. Dathan ran 1410 on the Michigan International Speedway course, which is notoriously slow. Yes. Also, the second fastest person ever on the Michigan International Speedway course is, what's his name, Riley Ho, how, who, how, I don't know how you say this name, H-O-U-G-H. So Riley Ho ran 14.49, I think, on that same course, which is the second fastest time ever. So like 40 seconds slower than Dathan's time. And that same boy, Riley, ran 14.10 on this so, running lane yes. course. So he can run 14.10 on a course that, but he can't run 14.40 on a course that Dathan can run 14.10. So no, these are, kids are not so much better than Dathan. They're not. This is just this is just simply true. However, it's still impressive. It's still impressive. Because three smoking of past. them did it all together. Yeah. And two of them are twin brothers. Okay, so uh, it just keeps getting better because the Newberry Park is where Nico Young went. Nico Young is the Brother. super phenom at Northern Arizona University currently. And um, He's breaking all sorts of records. We'll get to that here in just a moment. And uh, his younger brothers, Lex and Leo, are even faster than Nico was in high school and breaking some of his records this year. Um, and they're only juniors, so they've wow. got another year of high school wow. too. Yeah, so um, this is just its just fun and exciting. That Newberry Park team, seven boys, only two of them are seniors graduating. <laughs> So almost the entire team's what? coming back. What's next happening year? next year? <laughs> I know. Stay healthy, kids. We I want know. more history to be made. It's so good. It's so good. So this is this is the thing I just was alluding to. Notable mention here. It's not on our list of top three, but we're still going to say it. Um, in at the Boston University season opener for indoor track, there was just crazy stuff going on. Yeah. Specifically, the On Athletics Club. Speaking of Dathan, speaking Rosenheim, of Dathan, and coaches. speaking of Nico Young, who ran this race. But uh-huh. um, so Dathan's guys. Ali and Gordy Beamish just obliterated this yeah. race. So indoor track is not supposed to be super fast. It's not supposed to be because most of these runners are gearing up for an outdoor season. They're not in like their life's best shape. All the records are slower in indoor than they are in outdoor. Yet Ali Hoare and Gordy Beamish just smashed their yeah. own personal best 5K times and breaking national records <laughs> for both of them because yeah. they're from two different countries. Wow. So Oliver Hoare actually is really good. He's we really already good knew all that, the time, <laughs> but like indoor, he seems to do really well indoors. Well, I mean, he seems to do really year, well, yeah. period, everywhere. But yeah. he definitely has, he's had some good indoor seasons. He has. And he's also been on our podcast. 
Oh, you had, plug you had to say. You I know. To I'm going to be linking to everybody we mentioned because I know you're super intrigued. Oh, yeah. So Ali Hoor uh, just trounced Australia's indoor 5,000-meter yes. record. He broke it by like 20 seconds. That's nasty. <laughs> it's just crazy. Now, uh, people will say, well, yeah, Australia doesn't really do an indoor season, though. Because um, keep in mind, their summer is America's winter. And so their winter, which would be like classically indoor season, is when they're competing in Europe, in track, outdoor. So they, yeah, they don't enough do... enough of them compete internationally yeah. that he's had... He'd beat many legends of the past. That he did, but in rare form because it's like super, super fast. And super then Gordy fast. Beamish did the same thing to New Zealand's indoor 5,000 uh -huh. meter record. So uh, Hoare ran 13.09 to win the race. Gordy Beamish ran 13.12. And the two of them just were just taking it to an yeah. elite field, which is just awesome. Um, so that brings up people like Nico Young, for Northern Arizona University, who ran a new USA U20 record. So, Nico Young, who's 19 years old. The brother still, of the two the boys brother mentioned of the earlier. Yep. So, he just ran 13.22. By the way, he did held, hold the old U20 record at 13.24. It was his own record. But he broke it. So, yep. he's got another another record. Improved his own. Yep. And then Barry Keane from Butler ran a new Irish record. And I'm probably saying his name wrong. But he ran a new Irish record, 13.25. Now, that's not just... that. A new Irish indoor 5,000-meter record. And then George Kush of Northern Arizona University. So we talk about those Newberry Park High School boys, which is like crazy high school team. Northern Arizona University is the same thing but for college. They're just a crazy good college team. So uh, he ran a new South African national record in 1328. So in this one race, four national records, one U20 record. And that's just getting started with yeah, the indoor it's just, season it's just begun all right well we've been talking your ears off so we want to kind of wrap it up here by simply saying look back all the way back on all the stuff that you're doing and thinking about your training and what are the parts and pieces that help accomplish your goals and if we can remind you of one thing here and now that we want to continue to emphasize it's not it's not just about getting faster and fitter but i want to be a better runner and a more intuitive runner is the path, a path to being a better runner. So what are the kinds of things that you are doing? That's why we wanted to talk about Fartlicks today because it's one of the great ways to help initiate that. And if you're unsure in any of those things and you feel we can support you in those thoughts, send us questions first. You don't have to like pay us money. Just send us questions. We'd love it. We'll talk about them on air. We will, in fact, answer your questions right here on the show. So send them. But also, if you're looking for something more, head to adzrunning.com. Look for the word coaching. And let's talk. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>